gospel this morning, would you please turn to the book of Colossians chapter 3, the book of Colossians chapter 3. As you're turning there, the book of Colossians is a God-given and God-directed letter to Christians. Now, it's part of the Bible, and anybody can read it, and there are oftentimes when people who do not yet have a relationship with Christ read the book of Colossians, and they may get something from it, certainly, but the book of Colossians, along with other portions of Scripture, was written to a gathering of Christians people who had experienced a new relationship with Jesus Christ. They had begun that inner transformation. And you'll hear that word here in a little bit. But these were Christians. And, and, and throughout the, this book, or what was initially a letter of Colossians, uh, there is a lot of before and after. If, if, if you kind of get that in your mind as you read through the book of Colossians, you'll see a lot of, a lot of before and after. Uh, the, the standards and the, the way that people lived before coming to Christ, they were to be different from how they were to live after coming to Christ. So you see a lot of this before and after. You see the, the, the apostle Paul, whom the Holy Spirit had anointed to write this, inspired to write this down, he, he talks about this is how you were, this is how you are. This is what you represented, this is what you represent now. This is how you used to live, this, this is how you live now. This is how you used to act, this is how you live now. So a lot of before and after, and we've, we've looked at this uh, in, in for a number of weeks now. I want you to, to keep your, your, your hand there in in, in Colossians chapter 3, but I, I want to read a verse, a different verse, from another letter to Christians, and it's from Romans chapter 12, verse 2. It's familiar. Some of you know it. It reads this way, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. We're going to be going back to Colossians 3 in a moment, but this is from Romans chapter 12. Again, it reads this way. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That is a very important verse in regards to what we're going to look at this morning from Colossians chapter 3. Romans chapter 12, verse 2, talks about two different worldviews. It talks about the one uh, that, that, that we, 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 we can either conform to the patterns of this world or be transformed by the renewing of our minds through Jesus Christ. It, 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 it very clearly states here that, that there is a world system, a world's way of thinking that is influenced by history, it is influenced by culture, it is influenced by our fallen nature, and, and we can conform to that, and it happens very easily. As people go through life, they tend to conform to whatever standards the world has around them. And it may vary from country to country, culture to culture, uh, from one point in history to another. It's always a moving thing, but the standards of this world, people will conform to it. But here in Romans chapter 12, the Holy Spirit is telling believers then and now, we are not to conform to the standards, to the behaviors, to the reactions and actions of this world. Rather, we are to be transformed through Jesus Christ in our minds, in our lives, in our behaviors, the things that we do. So we're either conformed or we're transformed. We are called as followers of Jesus Christ. When we come to him, we begin this process of transformation. Now, back to Colossians chapter 3, um, it, it highlights here areas of our lives that are to be transformed by Christ rather than conformed to the world's patterns. In verse 5, and you have it there in, in Colossians 3, we looked at this actually some weeks ago. We touched on it over the course of a couple of weeks. Verse 5 shows us uh, how our understanding of sex is to be transformed rather than conformed. You see, there are, there are expectations in our world which are always changing um, 
depending on where we are in history, there are many different standards that our world says, this is acceptable or this is unacceptable. That's the pattern of our world in regards to sex. Now, at any point in human history, you can go back and you can find how this was so. There was never a time when everyone had it all together in regards to sexuality. There was always this world's conformation, if you will. But here, in this first century, and today in the 21st century, because this is the living word, this speaks to us and that we are to be transformed in our understanding about sex. That sex, as the Bible says again and again and again, is to be, be, is to be between a man and a woman within marriage. And anything beyond that, this wonderful gift that God created, this wonderful blessing that he gave is to be enjoyed and is to be celebrated between a husband and a wife and anything beyond that is sin and it's spiritually destructive. Now, uh, I asked you a couple of weeks ago or gave you the opportunity to respond. I'm going to do so again today. Get ready. Um, uh, husbands and wives who are grateful for the gift that God gives husbands and wives, say amen. amen. Not bad. Better than the first time I did it. It's a gift from God, but it's a gift that can be spiritually destructive outside of marriage. <laughs> not my opinion, that's what the Bible says. It's a standard that is transformational rather than conforming to the standards of this world. Verse 5 also says how we view things and money and the pursuit of money is transformed by Christ rather than conformed to this world talks about greed and how as a follower of Jesus Christ, we are to understand the things that we have differently and the desire for things. In Colossians chapter 3, verses 8 and 9, our emotions or the way that we respond to the things that upset us, that also is transformed when we come to Jesus Christ. The anger and the rage that were a part of the world's patterns. You get something happens, you, you can rage, you can become angry, but now it's supposed to be different for people who are in Christ. It's no longer an acceptable response. God desires something different from us in regards to our emotions. Verses 8 and 9 also tells us that the things a Christian says or our words are to be transformed rather than conformed. It talks about our words. A person who accepts Jesus Christ as their Savior begins, it's not all done at one time, but begins a transformational process in the things that they say. So not only the words that they use, but also the truth that they tell, and the, the uh, misuse of words about other people ceases. We, our words are changed, our mouths, the things that we say is to experience transformation rather than conformation to this world. Our words matter. In verse 11, we looked at this a couple of weeks ago, our identity, or how we view ourselves, how we view other people, is also transformed when we come to Jesus Christ. The, the conformity to this world says that we, that we just, we, we, we classify people, we regard people a certain way because of their background or because of where they're from or because of their religious background. All of these different things we, we classify, but, but, but the Word tells us that we are to be transformed and understand that people are either in Christ or they're outside of Christ. You are either a follower of Him or you have, to this point, not yet become a follower of Jesus Christ. And when we come to Christ, no longer are we first one thing or another, but we are first a follower of Jesus Christ. What's your identity? What's your identity? And I want you to notice also the words that are used to describe the old ways. Verse 5 says we are to put to death those before Christ's things. We are to put them to death. Pretty graphic. Verse 8 says we are to rid ourselves 
of them. Verse 9 says we have taken off the old. It's like this imagery of dirty and worn out clothes. We've taken off the old and we've put on the new. So again, here's these before and after. We've put some things to death by the power of God. Uh, we've, we've rid ourselves of some things. We've taken off and we've put on some new. Last week, if you were here last Sunday, seven days ago right now, you saw right about here what we call a baptistry. It was a tank of water in which people were, were baptized in water. It's a very scriptural thing. If you were here I, uh, along with me, man, that was a powerful time. And it wasn't simply the powerful things that were happening here in the water, although that was wonderful too. And boy, as people came up out of the water who had publicly declared their faith in Jesus Christ, and some of them the very first time, then you, you started cheering and you got excited. We should do that. Did you notice also uh, one of our younger persons who was baptized, when the head went down, the feet came up. I loved it. It's wonderful. There was, there was always a body part under it. The whole thing got under at some point. But, but the, what I really enjoyed was, was the testimonies. Some, some in person, uh, others on the screen. That, I've been living on that this last week and rolling it through my mind again and again. Uh, some of the things that people said and how Jesus changed them. Why was that so powerful? It was powerful because people are experiencing transformation rather than conformation. People are in the process. Now, they're not perfect, right? This was not a, an activity to declare these people have arrived and they have attained perfection. If you believe that, ask their families. They will tell you they're not what it was is people saying, I have decided to follow Jesus. I'm publicly declaring that. And God has begun an amazing work in me. And he's continuing on. That's what that was all about. That's what made it so powerful. Because we see a graphic example of the grace and the mercy of the Lord Jesus Christ. So all of that, we still haven't even read the text yet. Look at this. Verses 12 through 14 of Colossians 3 read this way. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved. Just pause there for a moment. Therefore means that everything that precedes it comes down and we, this is an important thing. It's an important transition. And he's saying here that we're three things. You, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you are, are, are a part of his chosen people. You are holy, not in yourselves, but in him. You are dearly loved. I don't know who that's for this morning, but someone here today needs to know deep down, you are dearly loved by God. If you are in Christ, you are dearly loved. In fact, God loved you even before you came to Christ. But because you're holy in Christ, because you've been washed clean, God dearly loves you. Just let that settle into your spirit. Sometimes people wonder, does God love me? Yes, it says so right there. And it says, clothe yourselves or put on, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love which binds them all together in perfect unity. There are eight things listed here. There are eight things listed, eight virtues or eight eight character traits that are addressed here in these, just in these few verses. The first one is there at the very beginning of verse 12 where it speaks of compassion. See that word compassion. It's an interesting word. Uh, it, it, it means more than just feeling for someone, but it is, pardon, pardon this term, it's, it's a little bit strong, but it's a gut feeling. It is a visceral, internal feeling. It is, it, is, it is seeing something, seeing someone in some kind of, of, uh, uh, some kind of distress 
a, a person in some kind of uh, hurt, hurtful situation, and when you see that, you are moved by compassion for them. You feel it, again, pardon me, but it, it's the right term. You feel it viscerally. You feel it in your gut. One of my favorite references where it says Jesus saw some people and it says that he was moved with compassion. Jesus was not someone who, did, who simply came to bring a message, um, make a point, talk about God, and then go back to heaven. Jesus was moved by people's pain. And here it says that as we come to Christ, therefore, as followers of Jesus Christ, we are to be people who are moved by compassion when we see other people in distress. You see, it's one thing to read a headline and go, okay, you know, four people killed in such and such a place. There were a number of things like that just this last week in the newspaper, the national and international news. But when we when we respond with compassion, when we are aware, when we see this, we feel it in our gut and it moves us, and it moves us to action. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 3 says this, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. He is the Father of compassion. By nature, by nature, I am not a compassionate person. I've shared this with some of you before, one-on-one. By nature, I am not a compassionate person. I, I'm of, the, I'm of the, 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 the old saying, eh, you make your bed, you sleep in it. Oh, you, you, you wrecked your life, well, too bad. That's, 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 and I'm not proud of that. But that's how I used to be. You can ask my wife. We first started dating. She thought I was the hardest-hearted person. God has been working over me in the last many years. Because now when I see hurting people, regardless of how they got there, I'm moved by that. I feel it. I feel it in my gut. Sometimes I wish I didn't feel it so much. Sometimes I wish I didn't hurt so much when I see other people hurting. But I'd rather have that than not feel anything at all. How's your compassion? Is God working on you in your compassion or is it the same as it's always been? Kindness is the next one, the second virtue mentioned there. It means to be gracious or good. <laughs> you, you, ever, you ever heard somebody say, ah, that's a, boy, that's a good man. He's a good man or she's a good woman. You know, when you say that, it's probably because of their kindness. I've known people, and so have you, some of the most godly people who I, I know their story, and I know that they were not that way, but if you go down to the very depths of it, their kindness is not because they just have a kind nature from birth, but because of what Jesus has done in their life. He's a good man. A good woman, kind. <laughs> Somebody said kindness is just don't be a jerk. That's another strong word. As followers of Jesus Christ, you see, I don't ever want us to be identified as Christians simply because of a bumper sticker or a cross around our neck or a fish on our bumper. If you have that, that's fine, but you better live it. And so often, I hear about people who claim faith in Christ, but they act like a jerk. No kindness. There's something wrong there. There's something wrong there when there's just this, this lack of kindness. Does that mean that you don't confront things? No. Confronting some things is an act of kindness because you care for them so much. But how we do it? How's the transformation power of Christ affecting your kindness? The next one is humility. The third virtue listed here is humility. The Greek culture, interestingly enough, when this was, when this was written, the, the, the dominant culture at the time was the Greek culture. 
Uh, and, and they equated, the Greek culture equated humility with weakness. They, they saw a humble person as someone who was weak. They, they exalted, they lifted up a person who was bold, who was brash. But humility was equated with weakness. Sadly, in some quarters, it still is. A person who is, is humble. What, is, what does humility mean? Godly humility is recognizing that all we are is only because of Jesus Christ. Humility is understanding who God is and understanding who I am not. Humility is recognizing that apart from Him, I can do nothing. Humility is recognizing that any gift that God has given me, it's only because of Him, and He could take it away at any moment. A friend of mine, brilliant man, brilliant man, in an interaction with him one time and somebody came in, we were talking and someone else came into the conversation. During the course of the conversation, they mentioned, they said, you know, your, your mind is just an amazing thing. And I was watching the gentleman, the very bright man, as this other person was commending them on their intellect. And he just listened and he, he didn't do, uh, he didn't have any false humility like, oh, I'm nothing special. You know, it was like, oh, I'm kind of an idiot. No, he didn't, he didn't, he just listened. He nodded. And after this person went on for a while, he simply said, I recognize that God has gifted me with something. He's given me a good brain. But he said, I give all glory to him because if he wouldn't have given it to me, I could do nothing. I'm simply using what God has given me, glory to him. I thought, what a humble man. Brilliant, certainly, but humble. You see, sometimes people think that humility is, is, uh, humility is thinking of ourselves too little. Uh, that that humil- but, but when we think of ourselves too much, too high or too much, when we think of ourselves too much, it's not just thinking too much of ourselves, but it's thinking of ourselves too much. I've known people who are down on themselves. They're focused on themselves. They, they, they say, everybody's watching me, and the reality is no, very few people are watching you. They don't really care that much about you, but you are obsessed with self. That's pride, it's the opposite of humility. Even if you think little of yourself and you're so self-obsessed, it's still focused on self rather than him. How's your humility? <laughs> Boy, this is tough, isn't it? This is a tough list. Look, no, the next one's gentleness. It means to be reasonable, not contentious. <laughs> Again, don't raise your hands. Don't shout out any names. But you ever meet somebody, they just love to scrap. I mean, you, just, the, the, you, 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 you say one thing, and just, just to be ornery, they say the opposite. Some people that are just contentious, they're not gentle. There are people who are harsh. And, and, and it says here that this is to be one of the characteristics of a follower of Jesus Christ. It's often displayed with our actions, but often with our words. I'm going to say this. This is nonpartisan. This is nonpolitical. But it does refer to something. In the coming months, we're coming up on elections on every level. It's going to be, you're, we all know this is just going to be, you're going to get sick of it by the first week of November. You're going to get sick of it long before then. Let me tell you something. As followers of Jesus Christ, we should stand up. We should say certain things, but we do not need to be cruel. I don't care. Regardless of how you feel about something, let's be careful. Gentleness is not, it's part of it here. At this point, we're at the halfway point. Some of you may be thinking, man, you know, any of these things, that's just not me. That's not who I am. I'm not that wired that way. But that's conformity to this world rather than being transformed by God. Because all of these things are on the table. 
So how is the transforming power of Christ affecting your gentleness? Patience, patience. You know what, let's just skip this one and let's move on to the next one, shall we? (laughs) This is a hard one, this is difficult. (laughs) There are times when I wish my wife were not here. I mean, I love my wife, and man, she's my best friend in the whole world, but she, she knows how sometimes impatient I can be. Patience is, is self-restraint. It means to, to not be quick to retaliate or punish. By the way, patience is often best measured not by stoplights or food orders at a restaurant, but by how we respond to people who annoy us or interrupt us. We think that we think that patience has to do with waiting for the thing to get done in the microwave. Who cares? That doesn't affect anything. You want to become impatient with that? Not a problem. But it's often the people around us. All of these things have to do with our interaction with other people. The Holy Spirit, through the Apostle Paul, to Christians then and to Christians now, are saying that we need to be careful how we treat other people, how we engage other people, how we talk about and talk to other people, how we respond to people, how we respond to persons who annoy us or interrupt us. How's your patience? Have you given up and just declared that isn't you? Or do you understand that God's power can transform you? Bearing with one another is the next one. Bearing with one another. Another translation uh, puts it this way. Uh, It says, make allowance for each other's faults. This is true tolerance. I, I qualify it. It's true tolerance. This is not tolerating sin or excusing it. That's how some people define tolerance. Rather, this where it says bearing with one another or making allowance for each other's faults, it means to hold back and to endure some of the immaturity or some of the limitations of others because you know that they are a work in progress. Let me me say that again. It means to hold back and to endure some of the immaturity or the limitations of others because you know that they are a work in progress. How many times are we called upon to interact with someone and they're kind of acting like a knothead or they're acting spiritually immature or emotionally immature and rather than just kicking them out and saying I don't want anything to do with you I'm done with you we endure it we tolerate it because we understand that God is still working on them and we bear with one another the number of people Stay with me on this. The number of people that I have had to put up with over the years is remarkable. But here's the rest of it. The number of people that have had to put up with me over the years is remarkable. Right? It goes both ways. And yet so often we're just saying, I'm done with you. I'm done with you. We see some immaturity. We see somebody regressing a little bit, maybe walking away a little bit. And, and it's so easy to just say, I'm done. This is bear with, up, bear with one another. Or forbearance is another word that is used. Make allowance for each other's fault. Not, 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 not condoning sin. We call it. The scripture is very clear. That's wrong. Here's why it's wrong. It doesn't mean putting up with sin. But it does mean that we extend grace to people. We help walk the journey with them because they're a work in progress. And by the way, you too are a work in progress. 
and the degree to which you endure others will largely determine how others will endure with you. You put up with others, they'll put up with you. Is the transforming power of Jesus Christ, since you've come to him, is the transforming power of Jesus Christ affecting how you put up with, endure with others? Verse 13 says, forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. Again, forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. Well, that one gets a lot of ink, doesn't it? You notice with these other virtues, it's like one or two words. I counted 15 words. Why does this one get so much ink? Why does this one get so much attention? Why does this one get mentioned two times in 15 words, the word forgive? Maybe it gets a lot of ink because it's one of the most essential yet most overlooked marks of being a Christian. Again, perhaps he drilled down on this. The Holy Spirit almost, if you will, underlined this. Because while it is one of the most essential, elementary, Christianity 101 parts of living for Christ, it is often forgiveness, extending grace to those who hurt us, is one of the most overlooked things. The author C.S. Lewis wrote how, quote, everyone thinks forgiveness is a lovely idea until they have something to forgive. Every Christian says forgiveness is a wonderful thing. Forgiveness is important. Until we have someone or something to forgive. And yet Jesus said this in Matthew chapter 6, verse 15. Matthew 6, 15. Jesus said, if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. Jesus said If you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. Some of you here this morning, and there are no exceptions for anyone. Some of you have been holding something against someone for a very long time, and today it must end. Some of you have been holding something against an organization or against some kind of an entity and it is destroying you. You've been doing it for a long time but I tell you, conformity to this world says I will not forgive until they come to me. Conformity to this world says when they come begging me, I might give it to them. Conformity to this world says If they hurt me, I will hurt them back. But transformation says, Lord, I still hurt. I don't understand it. I don't know exactly why it came. But I know that the grace that you gave me, I can give to them because it all comes from you. And be warned. If you do not forgive others, Jesus said, Father in heaven will not forgive you. I shudder to think of how many people in their lifetimes made a decision, asked Jesus to come into their hearts, were perhaps even baptized in water, said that they loved him, but did not forgive someone, and they died with their own sins unforgiven and are in a Christless eternity. This is serious stuff. We think it's optional. Why did the Holy Spirit direct Paul to write this so strongly? Because while it's so essential, it is so often overlooked. You may think, I cannot forgive that person. That's what conformity to this world says. 
But if you are in Christ, you have at your disposal his transforming power working within you to forgive. He gives it to us. I know this. I've experienced it. I've been wounded. I've been hurt. I've been bit. So have you. Welcome to the human race for Pete's sake. Everybody gets hurt. But God gives us the ability to forgive. Oh, you may remember the rest of your life. You may have to give it over to the Lord a hundred times, maybe more. (laughs) But you can forgive through him. And finally, love. Finally, it says love. You've heard or perhaps you've memorized John 3.16, right? You know it. Many of you know it. It talks about God's love. It talks about the love that he had and what he did because of his love. God so loved the world that he gave his only son so that whoever believes in him will not perish, but will have eternal life. We understand that verse and we love John 3.16 because it talks about God's love and Jesus' sacrifice. But you must also know about 1 John chapter 3. Verse 16, because you see there's the gospel of John 3.16, but there's also the epistle, the first epistle of John 3.16, and it says this, by this we know what love is. Jesus laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. See, while John 3.16 talks about God's love for us, 1 John 3.16 talks about how Because God loved us, we can love others. We can love, and and, and it talks about this here in verse 14, how it it, it binds them all together. How, How can we be these other virtues? How can we be forbearing and and kind? How can we be gentle and patient? How can we do all of these things? because of the love that he gave and because of the love he gives us for each other. In John chapter 13, verse 35, Jesus said this to his closest followers, but he also said it to us. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. I'm going to go back to what I mentioned earlier. The mark of you being a Christian, not in any way, not in any way diminishing what happened here. But the mark of being a Christian does not simply mean that on the 17th of November, 2019, I was baptized. Well, that's important. It's not on the 12th of August, 2005, I surrendered my life to Jesus Christ. Oh, that's important. We can find those dates and time, but the mark of being a Christian is lived out by how we interact with other people. It's so easy, again, to put a cross around our neck. If you have one, that's fine, not a problem, as long as you understand the meaning of it. It's so easy to put a fish on our bumper, little ichthus, symbol of Christ, on our bumper. If you do that, that's fine, if you understand the meaning behind it. It's easy to call ourselves Christian. And if you do, wonderful. I'm a Christian too. But may people see it not just in my externals, but may they see it in how I operate and how I live with other people. Galatians chapter 5, you don't need to turn there, but Galatians chapter 5 includes what we call the fruit of the Spirit, the results that will happen, that if you are connected to God through Jesus Christ, then the natural or transformational result of being connected to him means that these things will be apparent in our lives. It's virtually the same list as we see here in Colossians chapter 3. See, God desires to do something in us. 
you look at these eight things. I don't know about you, but you know, you look up there and you go, don't raise your hands, but anyone here this morning start putting little check marks beside those? And you're going, ooh, got that one down. <laughs> By the way, if, uh, if you checked all of them and think you have all of them down, go ahead and uncheck the third one down there because you have not yet arrived. <laughs> and I look at that and I go, Lord, I have so far to go. I've been serving Jesus with a passion for about 40 years now. It's a long time. It doesn't make me any better. It just means I've been doing it longer. And I'm saying, Lord, you have so far to go with me. But I'm in a state of transformation because of Jesus. Now, by the way, you look at this list and you're going, hey, no way I could ever be it. Well, maybe that's because you have not yet met him. As I mentioned at the very beginning of this message, this, this letter, this, this directive was given to followers of Jesus Christ. Before we go any further, I want to give you an opportunity. Would you, would you for a moment, just, just bow your heads with me, everyone across this room. I, I don't want to take for granted that everyone here knows, but the beginning point, the beginning, just the beginning, the beginning point is coming to him. This morning, <laughs> regardless of what you've done or how many times you've done it, Jesus wants to save you. Perhaps this morning, you would ask this very simple question. If I were to die today, would I go to heaven? Would I be with him? If my life were to end, do I have the assurance, do I know deep within me that as soon as I breathe my last breath here, my next breath would be in the presence of Christ? If you don't know that, you can. I want to pray with you. With no one looking around, please, for just a moment. If anyone is here today, you say, I, I want to begin following him. I want him to begin this transformation. If that's you this morning, I'm not going to embarrass you, but I do want to identify you and pray with you. If that is you this morning, would you just lift up your hand, hold it up a little higher to where I can see it, and then lift up your eyes and catch my eye. And I want to pray with you. Is there anyone here? I'm looking on the main floor right now. Just looking across the main floor. Is there anyone here? Now into the balcony. Is there anyone in the balcony? A lot of people in the balcony. Thank you. Thank you. Somebody raise their hand. Is there anyone else? I'll just, just a moment. Thank you. Right here. Anyone else? pray with you. And would you just very quietly just repeat this prayer after me. If you mean it with your heart, um, a great transformation is going to begin. Lord Jesus, come into my heart. Forgive my sins. I believe that you died on the cross and that you rose from the dead for me. I surrender my life to you. I recognize that I cannot fix myself, but you can fix me. You can begin this transformation. So today, I place my life in your hands. Jesus' name. Amen. 
you prayed that prayer, several hands were raised. If you prayed that prayer, say, that's, that's, that's all there is? Yeah, it's enough. Jesus did the work. All you have to do is accept the gift, and you just did. Glory to God. You have begun the amazing transformation of a lifetime. <laughs> About 10 years ago, my oldest son wanted to go to a movie called The Transformers. Absolute most stupid movie I've ever seen. No plot. But you are going to become a transformer or the transformed. He's the transformer. You are the transformer. I'm the transformed. Glory to God. I'd like you to stand, everyone, if you can, across this room. We're not quite done yet. We want to open up these altars. For you see, it's one thing to come forward for prayer and say, I need a touch in my body, a touch in my family, a touch in my finances. Those are all good. We love to pray for those kinds of things. But some of these things, as we've gone down this list that you still see before you, you're saying, oh, Lord, I need your help. <laughs> We're going to open up these altars. We're going to open up these altars. In just a moment, I'm going to pray, and then our worship team is going to lead us in a song that we sang earlier. Come on forward. Spend some time with Jesus. Turn where you are. Come up, but move a little bit and say, Lord, I need help with number four or number seven. I need help with all of them. Lord, I need you. You know what? The transformer, the transformer will help you. He will do it. He will continue to work on you. And it's not going to happen just at these altars. It's going to happen outside that door. Glory to God. In the power of the Lord Jesus Christ. So in just a moment, we begin praying. Go ahead and consider yourselves dismissed. But also, some of you, just come up, kneel down and pray. There'll be people here to pray with you, agree with you in prayer. Maybe you just want to pray alone. That's fine. Let's trust God for his continuing work in us this morning. Jesus, I love you. I thank you. I thank you for giving us your word. I thank you for Colossians chapter 3. I thank you for this amazing list. I thank you above all else for your transforming power that begins, that began at the cross. It continued to the point where we accepted our a relationship with you and it continues for the rest of our lives. Someday we're going to gather around that throne. I look forward to it. In the meantime, Lord, transform us. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. Go in the presence, the power of the Lord Jesus Christ. Come on forward as we continue to worship the Lord. Your kindness leads me to repentance. Your goodness draws me to your side. Your mercy.
歌。